The following unofficial rebroadcast of Twit Live is brought to you by Odd TV and Cashfly. Cashfly's global network delivers your content, ensuring your website, streaming media, and downloads exceed expectations at cashfly.com. Dr. Scott, Rocky. So how do you spell the name of this show? Well, I we let's chat about that in the show. Tumble is T-U-M-M-E-L, but I'm wondering if we should call it This Week in Social, which will bum you guys out. But I know that many people have no idea what we're talking about when we say Tumble. It's actually not yet. an option, and I will kick you all off if you do it. No, 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 not not this tonight. But some if this if we continue, Colleen, if we're all happy and the future happens. And Dane, Dane over here, my boss, is... He um, likes Tumble? Sure. No, he does not like This Week in Social. I think that's clear. Oh, okay. I, I, I agree with Dane. I think social is... I'm tired of social, man. Dane? Hi, Heather. That's why I like... Hi, Dane. People just tell me they know what it means. Heather, I know, can you like, hear me? I hear you perfectly, Hi. Dane. And I, um, I'm thinking of the hell that poor Tara Hunt has been put through because no one knows what woofy means. We're, we're not doing any any new shows that have the word this and week and in. Because oh, you know, I've wow. to blow oh, up the great. building. I thought you wanted that. No, no please. Please, no. That, I will stab myself in the eyes with flaming. So anyway, how about five steps to better use of social media? That that always wins, right? I prefer that. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) okay, I'm disconnecting now. We'll (laughs) find some way to make it absurd. We'll figure it out. I mean, I like Tumble, but I just know a lot of people. We have to explain it and really entitle. So Heather, go ahead and um, and start your show. Uh, We can go until eight o'clock, and if you really. Need to well, push it until eight thirty. I mean, it's you can go for an, an hour, hour after I you start. I'll stick around. Sixty minutes. Um, by go, the go way, for guys, sixty Heather? and and start whenever you're ready. Okay, Dane. Heather, Heather, your voice and Dane and Colleen is bugging out a little for me. Heather's okay, is. so that's on your end. So what you're going to want to do is hang up Skype, unplug your microphone, and plug it back in, and I will call you back. Okay, thanks. And do then I wait we will for that start before I start the yeah, show. Yeah, as soon as she's back, we'll start. And Dane's microphone's off, so he can't give any more orders. Okay, Dane. Sorry about that with the naming thing. I'm happy to go anywhere else. You sounded like my subconscious sort of working inside my head. It was a little scary. Is that, oh. um, is that on the website? You've got your brain on the webs as well. Do you have a subconscious? I do. Too? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to externalize that too. Oh, we're <laughs> streaming live because I'm looking at the IRC room and it, they seem to indicate that they're hearing what we're saying. We are always live. <laughs> Everything said can anyway. and will be used against you in the court of public opinion. Tell Peggy Noonan if you ever have her on. Hi, Boo. Yep. Okay, oh, now I don't have to type. I'm a much faster talker than typer. Fantastic IRC folks. Okay, it is sometimes a noisy disorder. Hi, are we starting, Deb? Hold you back? On, hold on. I'm giving her a second. Now, we normally don't do this whole setup thing in the beginning, but I want you guys to get comfortable and kind of see how it all works. So It's very sweet of you. In the future, we'll just kind of hop right on and hop off. <gasps> Tumblr. Kevin Marks, when you write it that way, it looks like we're um like a comic book superhero thing. A Tumblr. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's Tumblr. cool. With the cheat. Yes, Colleen is the awesome. Hi guys. I'm here finally. Okay. okay. Yay. Are we good to can go? you hear us clearly? I, I can indeed. So yeah, again, that's just Skype being Skypey. So, Heather, I do believe you are the host, is that correct? <laughs> Yeah, should we? Should I do the now kind of artificial? Hi, we've just tuned in, and welcome to Tumble Talk. I'm yes. Heather Gold. Yes, you should. <laughs> and you can be. And easy. I'll we'll be conversating this week with uh, hold on, hold regular on. Tumblers. Oh, 
I'm going to tell you when to you're go. you're a tease. You're a tease. <laughs> I'm going to tell you when to go. I have to set up. I just remember to press mute before I cough. Sorry about that. God, you sound so elegant. Okay. Give me one of those lights. You're ready to go in three, two. Hi, welcome to Tumble Talk. This is Heather Gold, along with uh, regular participants in this show, uh, Deb Schultz, who's calling in from San Francisco, and Kevin Marks in, in, San, Francisco too. in San, San Francisco, Francisco too. Oh, with in San Jose. Well, you're, the background looks kind of the exposed brick says RD South of Market, San Francisco. And our California guest flipped. Our guest this week joining us for our first pilot show, really thrilled to be here on the, I don't know what you call it, Twit Network, is uh, Jerry Mikulski from, where are you today? Noe Valley. Okay, back from LA. So, Actually, uh, no, going, going to LA tomorrow. Going to LA tomorrow for the Twitter conference. Exactly. So uh, I'm just delighted to be here and to see everyone in person and thrilled that Colleen created this incredible thing. Everyone should have one of these. It's awesome. Uh, I'm coming to you from Long Island, Huntington, Long Island, where the garlic knots are good and the cream sauce is plentiful. And we'll be talking about tumbling and tumbling, as people are debating and discussing in the IRC uh, chat room, is the art of social engagement. Yeah, it means different slightly different things to different people it's a word that kevin and deb and i are really have been uh, have been talking about for some time so why don't we just get started by introducing each of ourselves and a little bit about our personal take why we're here and why we want to have these conversations um kevin since this whole thing really began with you it's i think it's supernova telling clay shirky that there must be something more to what people were calling community and people gathering socially live and online and just randomness. What made you first think of the word tumbling and what, what does it mean to you and why do you think it's, it's a useful thing to talk about for a tech audience? Well, there were, there were one thing going that was the thing that Clay set off with me was that he said in his book, here comes everybody that it's really easy to start communities and conversations online now, but we never know which ones are going to succeed and which ones don't. And I'd, I'd been noticing for a long time that, that there's a pattern in this, which is that the conversations online that work are the ones in which someone is there setting the tone, um, helping people talk to each other, um, making sure there is a conversation going on, squashing the noisy people, encouraging the new people, slapping down the old people, and doing this, this thing that there isn't an, an English word for. And I spent a long time over the last few years trying to come up with something for this um, and talking to people about it. And the... The first thing I came up with was the idea of, of geisha, which is the Japanese word for someone whose job it is to encourage a conversation. But that doesn't work for Americans at all. They get geisha the wrong has some situation. other connotations. Only for Americans. Um, I had a great chat with Joey Ito about this. But anyway, um, the That's point a whole of a, show a true right geisha there. is a whole You should bring Jim for that. Um, but when I was speaking to Teresa Nielsen Hayden, who does the um, comment moderation for Boing Boing and runs her own wonderful website, Making Light, about this, she said, well, there, there isn't a word for that in English, but have you thought of the word Tumblr? Um, and I said, what's that mean? And she explained it to me. She said it was the, um, the person who used to go to the, um, the cat schools where uh, right. the New Yorkers went on holiday and got them that's to talk true. to each other rather than sit in the corners. Um, so that was, that was the word that I latched onto, and uh, yeah. you two seem to like that. I, I love it, but first let's just, in case it's possible that some web geek does not know who you are. Could you just say a couple words about 
what you do and sometimes why people know you and your particular take on the world and your where your mind melds in our little tumbling map here? Um, I'm I'm vice president of web services at British Telecom at the moment. Um, that's my newest job the last two months. Um, but I've been working on open web standards for the last few years. Um, I was at Google for the last two years. Before that, I was at Technorati. Before that, I was at Apple. And I've been um, working on social software stuff since at least 2003 or thereabouts. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I, I Joe Yang I, is like, Kevin Marks, I'm happy for you, but Beyonce had the best <laughs> video ever. You missed me. I'm going to let you finish, <laughs> Joe Yang. Sorry. I've, if there's a good line, I'm going to take it. I'm a comic, so I'm a, that's what I do. I'm a Tumblr. So you've, <laughs> you've been involved in social software a long time. Okay, I want to make sure you introduce everybody pretty quickly here, but um, so we're all in the conversation. So, Kevin, you're Mr. Open Social uh, technical, yep. but I think you really hit on the problem, right? And it's, or I'd like to go back to just think a little bit about when you started noticing the patterns and what you were doing. I'm going to guess video gaming, but it could be wrong. Deb Schultz. Let's bring in Deb yeah. Schultz. Yes. Who, and I'm going to let you describe yourself in case I, you don't like the way I would do it, but Deb definitely is um, another Yiddish babe. And so, <laughs> yeah, we like the word Tumblr. Yeah, we're we little, like the word Tumblr. It's true. Pull out the judum for some of us at the top yeah, of the show. Yeah, you know, you pull out the juice stuff whenever you can, you know. Am I frozen on your screen? Oh, you, look, you uh, look great. So, so Tumblr for you, and maybe describe a little bit about what you're doing. I know you have a really new, exciting um, position as a partner I, with Altimeter Group. I which do, the existence I do indeed, of yeah. So, I, I guess... Um, part of this whole space exploding. Hey, you know what, Hev? You're breaking up on me, so go to, go to Jerry and I'm going to dial back in, Okay. Okay. Sherry Mikulski, our guest this week. For those of you who don't know, <laughs> Jerry is, he's a really interesting Tumblr. Jerry's, you're an advisor to lots of startups, tech startups, have been for a long time. Used to write release 1.0. Maybe say a little bit about your experience with what you think, why you think tumbling matters, what it means to you, why, why you think it's useful to have a new word besides just social media or community manager, which I think we'll talk more about in the show. And your particular strength, like what your superpower is here? Good Lord. Okay. All that in two minutes, right? Sure. Third, okay. Five words, maybe. 140 characters. So I, so I used to introduce myself as a, the accidental technology analyst because I spent a dozen years as a tech industry analyst looking at trends, uh, not the books. I can't read a, an income statement to save my life, but looking at patterns and trends, what was going to be hot, what was going to be interesting next except I didn't have a formal computer education or a formal journalism degree. Uh, the first half of that I spent with a little analyst firm called New Science Associates, and the last half of it writing Esther Dyson's newsletter, Release 1.0. And in the right crowd, I introduced myself as Kevin Werbach 0.8, which usually gets a little bit of a giggle. Uh, these days, Can you translate that a, for people who don't know what that means? Yeah, so Release 1.0 was the name of the newsletter, so I... I'm the version before, kind of an early beta of Kevin Warbach, because Kevin actually took my, uh, when I left as managing editor, uh, Esther hired him in, so he spent almost exactly the same amount of time I was there, about five, five and a half years, as her managing editor. Very sweet. So, so in terms of tumbling, like Kevin's talking about what it means to consciously engage and create a conversation uh, or social connection and make sure that works, you among those of and all of us are friends of yours. You do that on a regular basis through retreats, through a phone call that you do uh, weekly with you, Tan. Can you say a little bit about what you think about the word 
tumble and if it's a good one for what we're we're trying to drive towards i'm 50 50 on tumblr for probably the woofy reason i think i think woofy is something once you get it you're like well okay but it does need explaining right uh but tumbling i think needs explaining and spelling and maybe memorizing so i'm a little like <laughs> Yeah, but the, but the function of a Tumblr, I think, is hugely important. I think it's it's not just somebody who brings people together and brings out the shy people and makes sure that everybody dances in the Berkshires, but it's also uh, somebody who who has. It was some, the Catskills, just so you know. Uh, sorry, wrong mountains. <laughs> Jews would never ever be in the, in Berkshires. the Berkshires. There's nothing to really? eat. Yeah, that's like a, it's a non-Jewish zone. I didn't realize that. Not it's technically, very- but it's the Catskills. Whatever. Keep going. Sorry, Jerry. I just thought you'd want to know that. <laughs> I just hate it when I get those things wrong. Okay. So we only have so much time, so let's move on. Deb yeah. Schultz, if you could say a little bit about your particular place that you're coming from in this conversation, why you think it matters, and then just to let everybody know what we're going to do for the hour, we're going to hit a little bit on what's gone on this week and our perspectives on that or in terms of tech, business, and culture. And then we're going to move into our bigger topic that we'll spend most of our time on, which is why we think CEOs, top-level execs, and startup founders really need this skill and why it's a strategic one. Okay. Deb, Good setup. Yeah, so I have uh, been this, this, this kind of Tumblr for years. I think um, I gravitate towards it naturally. And as I've seen the, you know, the live web and the integration of technology and, you know, the flattening of our world and all that stuff we're all living through, I realized that, you know, the, the problem in the past of having a uh, access to information and access to people, we're sort of, um, you know, we're sort of, ch- you know, dealing with that okay. It's not about the access. It's about um, getting connected to the right people and the right information. So it sort of flows against our information overload. So it used to be, oh, my God, if I could just get that book. Now you can search and Google information and all that. So it's really about who are the people within organizations, within neighborhoods, within communities who have the skills and the understanding to bring out the best within each group. And another definition of Tumblr is catalyze others to action. And... Because we all know that you can just show up on a chat and if there's no one there joining in on the conversation, it's going to be pretty boring. And I tend to look at this from a business point of view. And now, as Heather alluded to, I am now a very excited new partner in Altimeter Group where we look at sort of onboarding technologies and the impact of open and collaborative tools on business. And on a personal front, I always look at it in terms of culture and what it's doing to us. So, so, so just to give people one minute of where I'm coming from, uh, my name is Heather Gold. You can see more about me at heathergold.com. I'm not a partner with any particular group at this point, but I was at Apple, like Kevin, like half the people I seem to know in the Bay Area at one point, <laughs> uh, part of very early webcasting when we were pushing JPEGs, and boy, was that exciting. Uh, and I did sort of analyst stuff for a while, but I really started performing full-time about 10 years ago, and I've done a lot in the tech and business world and because I always had uh, geeks in the audience when I was at South by Southwest doing a show there about nine years ago I did set up for a joke where I asked who has repetitive stress injury here as like a standard joke set up and someone yelled we can't raise our hands and it got such a big laugh and I thought it was such a great line like a lot of people there's some great funny people in this room uh, that I'm looking at here Patterson and uh, he's funny so I was like what if I didn't write all the jokes what if I uh treated it like object-oriented software because I'd been around all these nerds. 
because that's what most comedians would say. And so I've spent 10 years learning to scale conversations and try to draw people out of these very authentic, interesting conversations where it's funny, but not necessarily, I guarantee, like where I'll guarantee a funny hour, but I won't necessarily, you know, it's not all about my pieces. I'm trying to help set stuff up. And I speak a lot at tech conferences and run workshops on how to do this, basically. So that's a little less one-to-many presentation and uh, more involving other people and more fun. Outsourcing jokes is lazy. Thanks, Gripesaurus. Or you could call it inclusive, uh, to tell you the truth. <laughs> I just try to make sure everyone's having a good time. Because if you do traditional stand-up, it's a lot of insulting people. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But I just noticed it's one way to get some people not to come, like the female half of the speech mm-hmm. used to most comedy clubs, for example. So that's a little bit on, on my take. And um, let's hit now, we've got a little bit of time, into some of the highlights of things that have gone on this week. Um, Kevin, you had pointed out a couple of interesting pieces that caught your eye, the Neiman uh, journalism piece about the idea that newspapers get the kind of communities they deserve, and that often isn't very good communities. Well, I think that's right. There was, it was a perceptive piece from, from Matthew um, saying that if you look at the newspaper websites, the ones where the journalists go in there and engage with the people making the comments and discuss things – um, have a much better set of comments than the ones that don't, which, which is, the, is the underlying, you know, tumbling inside. The difference is if there's someone there setting the tone, you, get, you can have a conversation, you can have something that, that is a place where people are comfortable talking to each other. And, the, you know, the great example there is, is, is Flickr, where that was set up at the beginning with um, Heather and, the other, and um, George Heather and the Champ. others. Heather Champ. Yes, Heather Champ. George Oates. George Oates. George Oates. Katerina, um, Katerina, Katerina, all yeah, sorry, <laughs> shorthand people's names. Um, they s- deliberately set it up in such a way where they were talking to people, setting the tone, making sure there were conversations going on, so that as it grew, the other people would know what the conversation space was like, um, and they would spread the same ideas. So they no longer need to, to sit there and keep an eye on all the conversations because the tone for Flickr is now set. Whereas YouTube is the opposite. YouTube never thought about that at all. They just set up a comment system where anything went, and, and that's exactly what happened. You now have YouTube as a byword for toxic comments to the right. point where people you know, hide them rather than go and talk to it. But and I have iterating- found on, on YouTube, Kevin, that if the person who's got their stuff up tumbles themselves the comments, like I found one woman who does a lot about Scientology. She was in Scientology for 30 years and tries to help get people out of cults. And her comment stream is super like in-depth, and nuanced. Mm. It's interesting. Right. Like it seems possible on YouTube, but it's not coming from oh, YouTube structure. It takes a lot of. It takes it, a lot of energy. It's possible in any of these media. It's it's, it's possible to you know we're we're good at having conversations, and there are people who are good at tumbling and who can do it even in a hostile environment. But the the, the classic structural problem with a lot of these spaces is that everyone can see everyone else's comments by default. So it only takes one troll, one person. You know, throwing throwing bombs to spoil the whole thing, um, whereas some of the more subtle um, technical systems we have don't make that assumption that everyone needs to see everything by default. Um, mm. The you know the classic example there is that is the Twitter following model, where we naturally just see um, the people we choose to see, and so right. the tone that we see is a friendly tone. Therefore, we respond to it in a friendly way, and overall, the quality of conversation is better. And one one bomb thrower will only propagate as far as the people who've chosen to follow them already. 
So that's that there's this sort of subtle difference. This is the many publics idea that, that I've talked about. The classic idea of a public is um, that there is one public space that we're all engaged in this debate and that that's how it works, um, whereas what we now have is many, many overlapping publics, which is much more like the social theory of publics, of how each separate work creates its own public. Um, and what we have on the web is all these different publics that overlap in these subtle ways. We see pieces of them. Um, and we're starting to model that better in, in the technology as, um, to some extent by accident, but also as people start to become aware of these, th- th- this thinking coming in from literary criticism and sociology. Well, and Jerry, I, can I jump in? Sorry, go, ahead, go jump in, Deb. Well, I was going to say the other thing about that, um, Kev, that, that is that we have all these social networks and these forums and all these things online now without really be, – they're being built without the social constructs that we deal with in, in our everyday lives. There's a lot of subtle connections and subtle, you know, whether it be facial expressions, phraseology, things that we do in our offline lives – and the skill and the talent to bring out people and into a conversation, as is used a lot on what, which isn't isn't being built into the structures of a lot of our technology tools today, the social web tools. And I think that's where a good person can make a lot of change. I mean, as you alluded to, Flickr would be a completely different place if you voted whether a photo was thumbs up or thumbs down. And, and if there was a list of the top 10 and, photos of the day. Exactly, exactly. So it's a combination of Tumblr skills and technology structure, I think. So, so Deb's talking, Jerry, about um, there not being, it not being built often and consciously enough into our tech tools. Do you, I, I'm going to guess that's also true of just businesses. I mean, I'm interested in your take. You work with lots and lots of startups. How often are startups really paying attention in this supposedly social moment to how they're going to create something that is a place and a way to really support connection between people and how much is that is thought of as some afterthought that's going to give them pretend free viral marketing. I'm not sure I understand your question, Heather. So are you <laughs> mean a, in, a, in the design moments where they're trying to build community or whatever else into their offer? Uh, what do they go through? What do they think? Or do you mean something else? I mean, how conscious are startups, are you, do you think, right now about people in their early, earliest moments of designing what the business is, thinking about these issues as part of creating the value of the business and how much of it's tacked on later once they get going? Totally depends on the business. And yeah. one of the things I used to say after the dot-com crash and the, we started looking at who the survivors were, I noted that Google... Uh, Amazon and eBay were all three big survivors of the dot crash and each of them used humans uh, out in the real world in completely different ways. So Google was busy inferring links from link information who had better page rank. And eBay without, you know, people posting everything and trading everything would be just a little bulletin board someplace, right? They don't even touch the merchandise, which is brilliant. And then Amazon without without the reviews, which are written mostly by humans uh, outside of Amazon, uh, also wouldn't be as interesting. It would be the Barnes & Noble site, which it is, I just don't there, think that many people go it, to, right? There was a piece of research today, I wish I could find it, that I've got on my, on my tweet stream that Vellis Krebs tweeted about um, someone at Carnegie Mellon saying that the reviews on Amazon are, in fact, done only by a few people, and often the voting is is kind of skewed, so there's no actual wisdom of crowds there. It's just a few people skewing the system. Well, there which, was a... Uh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Kevin. Um, th- 
there was a, something. The Amazon ones and, um, were largely anonymous. It was there were a lot of spoofing going on. And there was a, a thing that happened a couple of years back where somebody somebody at Amazon um, released a file that showed who these these people actually were, and a lot of the reviewers were sock puppets. They were people who pretended to be somebody else, writing up their own work and, and marking it up. And and just today, um, YouTube released a thing saying they they looked at the distribution of people starring the videos and. Um, 80% of them are, of the ones that are starred at all get five stars and nobody's actually using the, the rating things there. So a lot of this is people where, where there's, where there's a feedback loop, where, where there's value in getting a high score on these things, where the system rewards that, um, people go into that and game that and, 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 um, cheat it and distort it a lot. So I think we're it's, overrating, it's overrating the, that, that rating system. So yes. the, yes. You know, the J and K's wedding video didn't go viral because it got five stars by a lot of people. It went viral because everybody just started sending the link around. You've got to watch this, and that's exactly. that's an actual review. Exactly. That's somebody forwards something to somebody else. They think it's awesome. They watch it. They're on fire. They they forward it to another fifty people, and suddenly the thing's got what is it? Thirteen million views now. Eighteen million. Way up there. That, that's of something that becomes viral, but that doesn't mean that everything has to be huge to be valuable or really relevant to some exactly, people. Not but, at all. but but I think that the rating system or whatever you're going to build or design into your business or the technology at the beginning, if you thought more about how will it help people find right. who it's relevant for and so on. And I don't think keywords are always going to be enough because at this point, I think the reason Twitter's taken off the way it has is because the filter through people is higher quality than what I'm getting from recommendations based on keyword at YouTube or Google or, or elsewhere. You know, also Twitter is a nice exercise in, in how humans and human referrals are much more interesting than rating systems or digs or whatever else. Uh, because Twitter lets you uh, put your hand directly on the control knob. You can turn the volume down by unfollowing people and turn it up by following more people. And you can be really selective, although some people aren't, about who you're following. So you're actually listening for human recommendations. And there's no, there's very little, I, I never check out somebody's favorite tweets. I don't have time. I don't even know where to look for that stuff. But I'm busy watching the stream for the interesting stuff like the Valdis Krebs uh, tweet that, that you just mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And to that point, you know, to, to the point of, of Valdis, I wanted to bring up the fact like it's very easy for us to go down because we're all geeky on, on the web thing. One of the things that I'm fascinated by is the work that he does looking at organizations and his site is networkweaving.org. And he goes into large, small organizations and shows them who are those connectors and who are those who are connecting either person A to person B or information A to information B. And if you ask me, it's sort of the the real fuel that sort of fuels an organization is very often the individuals that maybe not be the CEO, etc. It might be people at the edges of the network. And that to me is really interesting. And I guess uh, Kevin and I have talked about this. You know, my passion is figuring out like how do we frame that in a business context that shows that relevance of that person and that some bottom line value? And I feel that we're at this interesting time right now where because we're all living more in this connected space, there's got to be a way to sort of do more systematized understanding of the people on the edges who connect the cool information and act as that person. And that's an interesting area to kind of jump into and noodle on. So, Jerry, do you think of this as somebody who could be a, a, a kind of founder people should look to have when they're starting something as well as a potential CTO, someone who really knows how to do this stuff. Is it that important? I think. 
I well, hope that's so. Another, that's another really weird thing because uh, what Kevin was saying earlier I think holds really true here, which is you don't know where a good conversation is going to start. So, uh, again, are we talking about skill here or are we talking about rich conversations? Because I think every department of every organization in the world needs somebody who knows how to manage a conversation and distill it and uh, turn it into action points and do something useful with it. Exactly. But if you're, looking for some, if you're looking for something big, you have no idea where that match is actually going to catch something and it's going to go. And all you can do is try lots of things and hope to be on hand for the one that, that, that turns out to be really big. It's a, it's a different dynamic altogether. Right. So this, this, go ahead, Kevin. So uh, that's, that's what I was, was saying about the founding of Flickr and the fact that they had people there at the beginning who were exactly in this role. This, when I, in the original Tumblr post I wrote, I said, think about having a chief conversation officer. It's, it's that level role for certain kinds of site. I think that the things that um, eBay and um, um, uh, YouTube and some of these other sites are trying to do are what they're trying to do is what Jerry was just saying there. They're trying to capture everything. Um, that means they'll get the, the things that, that take off and the things that don't. Um, and then they're less worried about having, um, you know, ha- focusing the conversations because they have all the conversations and people only see a subset of them. But even there, having a way to find the things that, that matter to you is still really important. And that ends up being mediated through people. And so if right. you have a system where you people can see something and see a lot of things and pass on some of them um, and then they you can decide which people to follow then you can apply your own sort of sense of judgment about who you trust um, to, to find the interesting things on the side and that's that's how things spread I, I you know I'll, I object to, to viral as a characterization of that but I'll I'll hold off on that for now we can debate that later well I mean that's something spreading but if you're talking about ongoing engagement between people in a conversation like uh, we're trying to have now between the three of us or I don't know that I put the IRC quite there yet, but that's a little bit of a different thing than just, hey, take a look at this. Um, I just want to hit on a couple other of the stories this week before we spend a little more time on why this is, you know, we think it's maybe strategic enough to have it as a C-level, yeah. whatever that's called, and, and, and important <laughs> business speak. I'm a CXO. That means I'm important. Fear It'll me. never be. Yeah. Um, so, exactly. So, uh Kanye West, let's make this fun. Kanye yeah. West, Wilson, and Serena Williams all uh, felt the need to interrupt and scream at people this week. And and Jerry, you'd mentioned that as something that caught your eye about uh, civil. Well, people talk. You know, it's been in sort of the mainstream media conversation around. It. It's been about civility, but it has been sort of an interesting opening to notice what happens if there isn't someone taking responsibility for what's going on the whole time, and someone else can kind of just jump in and scream and what that does to the, the conversational space or whatever activity is going on. It's funny. I, I, don't, hmm. I don't know that it's about somebody not taking responsibility for the space. I mean, in some weird sense, all three incidents were under pretty strict control. The three incidents I'm talking about are Joe Wilson saying, you lie. Uh, <laughs> Serena Williams smashing her racket and then later cussing out a line judge and losing a match because of that because it was on match point. And then Kanye. And, and all three of these, I mean, I'm sorry, we're in center court on Wimbledon. Let's see. We're in Congress giving an address to all of Congress. And the VMAs. And we're at, and we're at the frickin' VMAs where, you know, they're on, they're on center stage. So you can't get much more control than all these. And they all just kind of happened around now. Probably coincidence. Who knows? But I, I'm interested in what, what, what you all think about 
Chair, I feel like I'm going to let you finish, but I feel a need. I must interrupt you now just for meme's sake. And now no, you can Deb continue. had the best song. Deb had the best song, and really, we should give the award to her. Sorry. Yeah. Damn it. Damn it. My song, it's my time. I think people have just lost the, <laughs> the ability to remember that there are humans on the other side of whatever medium they're on. You know, it's just interesting. Sorry, Dad. They were you live. Know. There were people in front of all three of these. Joe Wilson had someone sitting right next to him, and Kanye right, but, had someone there. They weren't, you know, but that's, at the but end that's of what I'm screen. saying. Because they spend so much time interacting with people in the non physical, I'm so It's po- the internet's in. fault that Serena it's Williams yelled. No, no, no. Oh, it's, it something about, it's something about the speed of stuff coming at us and going back that has sort of broken down something. I, I, I think so. I do. I love well, my internet, but there's something there. Kev. So let, let, let me throw in something else about this, which is I had no concept that the MTV Awards were actually playing. I wouldn't have watched them. And now I've watched a bunch of clips about them. And so Kanye suddenly put that sucker on my map. That's kind of an interesting, because that's a because really interesting you're really the target audience for MTV VMAs. Uh, they just right. want eyeballs, right? Right. So, that, so Yeah, that's scary. That goes into the make me a viral video expression. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, anyway, I mean, ahead. Kanye has basically juiced the net for at least it's been a week. I mean, it's just been the most entertaining stuff I've seen in, in a long time. People are being very creative about his uh, interruptions. Yeah, there's some cool videos about it. It's true. So, but so, I also think, wait a minute, you know, the, the thing in Congress is also really interesting because, you know, there were no TV cameras, you know, in, in the 1800s. And according to my understanding, you know, and I'm no expert on... Uh, Oh, good. We have it up on screen. Yay. Love it. Um, you know, I'm no expert on American history, but, you know, Andrew Jackson had duels in front of the White House. Um, you know, in other countries in Parliament, they, they wrestle with each other. So, you know, maybe we're missing out on something. Maybe we're not being truthful and just let people fight with each other and be who they are. It would More people would watch Congress if they did it more often, like Parliament. We had a little more yeah. throwdown. We had a little hot oil wrestling in Congress. Maybe people would vote, and we could just have world wrestling. We've got, we only had a governor, right, who was a wrestler. Did we get anyone in Congress yet who was a wrestler? Uh, any day now, I'm sure. So, I mean, okay. So, so just to me, the British system is that you do yeah. heckle the prime minister. You, exactly. If you listen What's to Prime Minister's question time, the point is he comes to the House twice a week and gets asked questions by anyone who's a member who wants to stand up. So um, now part of this is that we have parliamentary rules of who gets to speak when. Um, we have Robert's Rules of Order and all this stuff because for these kinds of deliberations, only one person can speak at a time. Whereas on the net, we can all speak at once. We can all write at once. Um, and then we see bits and pieces of that and try and draw something out of that but we're all seeing something different so i think there is a difference of conception between the two that is um is hard to understand for you know one of the reasons that the net is hard to understand for people who are used to conventional politics or conventional journalism is they used to be they're used to this idea of one person speaks at a time right they're not used to everyone speaking at once and stuff bubbling up in the way that um so- jerry talked about with those videos so perhaps here, one here. way to think about uh, uh, Joe Wilson is that he's so used to the Twitter world. Like, it makes me think of the Mark Zuckerberg keynote at South by Southwest with Sarah Lacey, where maybe as a print journalist, it didn't occur to her that she could actually talk to anyone in the room and listen to them. And the room just kind of had enough of it and eventually stood up and yelled and tweeted like crazy. I mean, maybe Joe also felt like I should get to talk back now because we're so used to that, that this is ridiculous that we can't do it. 
I just think we're not honest as Americans. I just think I just think it would be it's Whoa. just we, we you know we, we'd be a lot healthier if we just you know didn't try to, to be all polite. <laughs> well, I'm in Long Island, and there's no pretense here that they we're all polite. I don't know. It's California is extremely polite. Sorry. <laughs> oh, it says the Brit. No, but I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of making it serious for a minute. But I think there is something about we try to we 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 sort of do a lot of pretending here, and I don't know if it's only an American thing or a where no, we are today. I, I think this is totally relevant to social media and tumbling and this whole thing. Yeah. There is a lot of lying, and I think people want to feel like people are going to be genuine in public. That's my whole purpose but, for well, being. Well, isn't I mean, genuine? Isn't genuine saying? I mean, um, you lie. Could be. Absolutely. I mean, he be. genuinely felt the president was lying. I mean, that's right. Uh, you know, I think that we want every I think here in the social online or whatever world, we want everyone to be nice. And then that brings up snarkiness. You know, I mean, I think if we maybe we're all, you know, yeah, you, know, you know, you fight and you make up. <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there, Heather. Well, it's like I think we coffee. could use some. How do we all make up? I mean, maybe we'll. There's a way somehow, Jerry, that you can link this. Uh, one of Jerry's superpowers, I'll fill in for yes. him, is he can speak in paragraphs. So, Jerry, is there a way we can link this need to learn how to, ha- after the conflict, bring things back together to something strategic that uh, startups and technologies need to think about when they're venturing into social conversational space? Oh, good Lord. And maybe to the Julia Child movie, too. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'm giving you, like, yeah. an Iron Chef challenge of conversation. Yeah, totally, totally. I, I hear the theme music and I feel like I'm rising up onto the stage in a cloud of steam. Don't forget the wire. Don't forget the wire. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. I, I think we're all just learning how to do this and we're in the Model T stage of all this. You still, the tools suck. The tools for moderating conversation, the tools for ha- for conversating, uh, the tools we're having right now are sort of barely working with bailing wire and spit. And um, it's astonishing. I mean, we're pretty far into the computer revolution, and, and just getting lots of people together is difficult, really hard. And doing a good threaded conversation, doing any kind of discourse online, very, very hard. And it's really hard in person, too. And we're so far beyond a, a culture where we normally have discourse. I've, I've been reading a book on the, uh, the process of town meetings in Vermont, uh, specifically about Vermont town meetings. And they're trying to replace a lot of those with uh, Australian ballots, they're called, a a form of voting. And half the book is devoted to don't let them do that because the actual showing up at town meeting, which is only one day a year, is crucial to the way we run democracy here. So we've been taken out of most situations where we actually need to interact to run our lives and to do important things. So, so Because we've had technologies have been so much we're going to free you up. And a lot of them were used to let us not have to be near each other. And now we don't have so much public space and we have a million conferences so we actually get together. I mean, people are here on IRC so want to hang out. Hi, I'm not, I'm alone. So we have to relearn these things. But that's why she she dropped in. I got nothing going on. I'm at my dorm room. Hmm. So, I mean, I, I, I think people are pretty hungry to spend more time with each other and to connect. But I agree with you the tools, that the tools suck, Jerry. So, and Kevin, how can we make the, get the tools to suck less? Yeah, yeah Kev. T-Man. Um, well, I think there's, there's, there's a couple of things going on there. I think you're right about the connection thing. People do like to connect with each other. And there's this, there's this phenomenon that you see, which is, which is a new thing, which is when you meet someone that you've previously known quite well online, there's a sudden 
strong sense of connection. What usually happens is you collapse into giggles, and there's the, the sort of the strongest effect of this was some was you know I saw this at Blogher when suddenly all these people who've been reading and writing and talking to each other online suddenly got together in the same place, and it was this sort of massive um, flood of, of giggling. But I, it was they they had that moment in the Julia Julia film as well, which was when Julia Child met her pen pal, who'd been right. a key person in her life, right. and suddenly they met face to face. I was afraid it was going to be business. like a man or something. She wasn't sure, like that wasn't accurate for her whole dream. I was really afraid it was going to crush her, but it didn't. It really was everything she wanted it to be. But that was, you know, that was, you know, that was. I'm sure that was deliberate prefiguring. But that was an example of a of an older model of relationship like this where suddenly you meet someone that you've had this correspondence with, whereas now that happens quite a lot. And I think part of it is that um, certainly for me what I found was that I was able to talk to people online slightly more reflectively um, and about things that I was interested in, and then I could later meet them face-to-face and, and have, a way to have a conversation with them without having 15 minutes of of talking about sports teams or whatever you're supposed to do for small talk to begin with. Um, and I think that experience is something that, that is different. And it's, it's partly different kinds of um, personalities and, and how, we, how we sort of interact and think. And I think the people who are natural tumblers are the ones who are likely to be able to do that kind of stuff in any room, in a, in a cold room, just, just as Heather does. Um, whereas I think the, the net tools, because they add a little bit of delay and ability to respond asynchronously, give you a chance to sort of rewrite yourself and not have to be such a quick thinker. And but so don't that you think helps that, people in. Don't you think it's a little different? I mean, I, I'm a nerd too. I grew up as an outcast like every other nerd and then whatever, spent a lot of time learning to be public in front of lots of people. And it seems to me that people are very thinky by nature who are, you know, the geeks who are online first and building the tools first, socialize a little differently than other folks sometimes. I mean, you can see as soon as, you know, Twitter's environment changes or a lot of places change, that the style of socializing changes. I'm wondering to what degree the tools are being built with an just implied view of the way a geek might socialize, which might be in a very intellectual exchange of things in a way that other people might not want to. And as we get to more of a real-time web and we get more and more people online because of these what we're, we're calling social media tools, do we have to start rethinking how the tools work to allow different kinds of meeting each other? Like, I wish I could be sending drinks and snacks, at least virtually, to everybody in this IRC room, but I can't. I, I don't know. There's a lot of different ways I think it would right. be nice to connect. But we're sort of playing around with that. Like, we all made fun of the... You just reminded me with the sending drinks and snacks, the, uh, the how poking took off on Facebook at the beginning and then got turned into something completely different. And I always wondered, okay, is that just the lowest... You know, some people thought it was incredibly rude, and other people thought, wow, you know, it's just this really great, I'm thinking of you kind of thing. You know, or is it, the, is it the lowest possible common denominator of social connection you can do? Or is it nice in this grand world that I have this little tool where I can just go, hello, you know, without the sexual connotations or whatever. So, I mean, I think we're rewriting a lot of rules. I think we don't really know what's, I mean, we don't really know what's accepted behavior and what, and, and what works or what doesn't. Um, but I do think that uh, what's happening, like, right, like in the offline world is definitely impacting online and vice versa. I mean, I can't connect the dots directly, but I, I agree with you. All those people, like, slamming rackets and being rude to each other and saying, you know, all the stuff that's happening in the media shape, they, they play off of each other. I just don't think we know how quite yet. And I want better tools, too. I mean, Jerry talked about it. Jerry's, like, great at, like, honing all this stuff. And the, the, the tools kind of suck, let's face it. 
They're not there well, yet. But that's okay. okay. That's okay. They'll 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 get there, I think. They'll only get there if we start thinking of it in a social setting as opposed to a hierarchical setting, right? It's like the old joke of my friends with my mailman in the real world, right? I'm connected to my mailman, but online we seem to be choosing binary stuff instead of the Because data works in a binary way and you can parse it and it makes algorithms work and so on, but social relationships Lazy. don't, don't work the same way. We only have so, I just want to make sure that everyone in the chat room knows that if there are particular things you guys want us to talk about or you want to tell us that you think we've got wrong or we should be spending more time on, I'm paying attention to you. So, I think they'd like to talk about pizza. anchovies on pizza They want right to talk now, about pizza. Sure. Well, we could talk about more about pizza and Dan's like, yes. And I like to and Dan, your suggestion that we should have transitions on this show in the style of that 70s show. I think that would be oh, great. Oh, that would be fun. Uh, so pizza is a very important social tool, certainly. I mean, it's the nice thing about it. It's true. I mean, so here's an it example. Is. Like, That's a great you example. You have to touch it. You bring one in. Everybody has a reason to talk. They're near each other. You have to use your hands. No, you have Ironically, to Ironically, you started the pizza thread because you were saying you'd like to be able to send snacks. And, 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 and I then would it love that. From there. Yeah. But here's another thing. If you're, if you're ordering a pizza pie with a bunch of people, there is social involved in it. Why? Oh, blue. You rock, honey. Oh my god, it's raining money for the Jew. Hello. Wait. <laughs> I was like, wait, Sanatova. Sanatova to you too. Wait, but seriously, this was a <laughs> You know that joke about the Jews <laughs> under the car and the guy comes up to him and says, So, are you comfortable? How are you doing? And he says, I make a living. <laughs> So my, okay, just just to finish my train of thought, if you're ordering a, a a pizza with a bunch of people, like just what just happened on the on the chat room, you gotta ask each other what kind of toppings you want. Key, it's a critical moment, right? It's a critical moment. We don't have enough of those things in our two dimensional social networking spaces yet. Like, right? No. Whoa. So that so that so Jerry, you're right. You know, pizza is. We need better social pizza tools. I want pizza dot. I.O. Somebody maybe pizza startup or better. Let me send it to somebody in any particular realm. Wouldn't it be great if you could just like be communicating to somebody in any room or site, it. wherever they are. I had one of these conversations at, at Google because we were talking to Papa John's and, and they were saying, so how do we make pizzas work in the social networks? And it was like, well, people already know who their friends are. They want to order pizzas, but I'm not sure. You know, they were saying, can we build a, a social network app that will, will help us sell more pizzas? And can we give out coupons or, what? you know, can we order, get people to order pizza for our friends? And we were sitting there thinking, uh, you know, all you really need to do is make it easy for people to order the pizza and send it somewhere. And, and the people work out the sociality. I'm not sure you need a, a specific app that's, that has the social stuff in there. Or you can build things that learn who knows what toppings. But you're, 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 as you say, you're solving the wrong problem. Part of the point is in the negotiation. I think that ties back to... Um, what I was saying before about the computer scientists tend to overmodel, and they say, "Oh, yes. they they will say, okay, we can build a model for who's friends with whom, and we can give you categories to choose from. We can we can model this stuff, um, exactly. and then they build something crude that doesn't actually model it very well, and they think they're done. Um, but actually, that's a you know that's a fool's errand. You're not going to be able to model um, the interactions and, uh, and whom we trust because that's basically what." a big chunk of our brain is for is deciding who to trust about what. But I think the thing that, that really does work is having these large pictures of people that you can recognize next to the word so that your brain can engage with that and say, 
Ah, oh, that's Debs. I trust her to know, to know stuff about this. Um, oh, that's that's um, that's Jerry. If if I'm if I'm talking about business stuff, I really need attention to that. Um, um, and you can use your own modelling of of whom to trust by associating with the faces. And that's why um, when some of those apps in the social network sites pull the pictures of your friends and insert them into adverts, that's why that is such an invasion because it's right. giving you a full social signal. And and, yeah, and and I love your point about the over-architecting because, you know, earlier we were talking a little... Oh, fish. Earlier we were talking a little <laughs> it's bit... It's great. It's great. <laughs> earlier we were talking... We were talking a little bit about, you know, that we need better tools, but we have to be very careful at, you know, what tools we architect and build because, you know, it it is so gray and, and we change so much depending... It could be the same, you know... Networks themselves change as we progress through them and our behaviors through them do. So, uh, yeah, I think it has to be open enough. But what, you know, we have to figure out what's the right framing, Kevin. We need some, you need to, you need to sort of lead people through something. Otherwise, the blank screen is just the blank screen. You, right? you need to lead them through something. But I think these sort of, whether it's about the, oh, film, whether it's about the toppings or the stuff, the stuff you're talking about where you <laughs> fill in the pieces. That kind of conversation that you are seeing in little bits of Twitter are exactly what make folks who are the sort of um, self-important boomers who want to tell you how Twitter is exhibitionistic and irrelevant and, you know, well, I don't want to know what you had for lunch. Like those kinds of things yeah. that aren't, they're, of course, they're not efficient. They're how we connect. They're efficient socially. They're not about, you know, they're about connecting. And so it's having room for that kind of experience where everything doesn't fit perfectly in. It, where right, it's not right. all, you know, I've, I've figured your mind out for you. I mean, how, this you is know, what it's joke. supposed to do. It's supposed to do this. Right. Yeah. The interesting but, bits are the parts that are unscripted. I mean, I right. think yes. the big reason for reality shows, uh, <gasps> wow, the world just exploded in my head. Colleen, uh, can we just say that we all love you? We heart you. Everyone, <laughs> every, everyone we heart Colleen, everyone well, on the chat. Yay. Yeah. Colleen, Believe. triple plus. Okay, Jerry. Yeah. The, the continue. Where was I going with that? <laughs> you just, we just were, got TV'd out. Yeah, totally. The, the unscripted, 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 unscripted moments are in reality TV. And the reason that it's interesting, interesting is because ones. it doesn't feel just, as predictable. Just tumbling. <laughs> Jerry Mikulski on unscripted reality show moments. Take three. Exactly. Wait, we're going to have an unscripted pause right now. Ready? Go. <laughs> Dr. Nice Scott, Colleen. Rocky. Work. Work. <laughs> See, wasn't that different from the rest? Yeah, it's fun to not know what the hell's going on. That's what I try to teach people if I'm going to get them to do better presentations. I mean, this kind of one-to-many business, it's boring. I think we're so narratively saturated. It's the reason why people want absurdist stuff and they want to do gaming and they don't want to just look at a movie that they can predict. So one of the other things that's happening here is that there's a... Go ahead, Okay, first Kevin Marks and then Jerry. I think people cra crave narratives, and also they construct narratives all the time. So if you give them a series of random things, they'll make up a story about it. But the other thing that they do is they retell their own story. And every time you retell the story, you make it different and better, and you present yourself in a better light, and the story improves and so on. I think one of the interesting things with the, with the social stuff is because we're keeping track of our own history of what we actually said in many of these systems, our ability to sort of remold our story um, is undermined by the, the evidence of, of ourselves. If you go back and read what you actually wrote in your blog five years ago, you often realize, oh, I didn't, have, I didn't think said what I thought I said. I said something else entirely, and, and it was a different conversation. But I've re-remembered it into this, this sort of prescient 
wonderful prediction of, of, of how the world is now. Um, and that's how we all live our lives. We do retell our, our own stories each time. Um, each time we, we remember them, we, get, we modify them and put them back again. And, and somehow the computer system undermines that by making it more concrete as well. And Kevin, is that the narrative uh, re-remembering explanation for why everyone believes they invented every important catchphrase or meme that catches online? Oh, I blogged that in 2002. Absolutely, I did it in two thousand one. Sure, and then, you know, I do that all the time, but I have evidence. So, so ha. No. Um, links are your friend. But I was retweeted by ten other it. white men. Therefore, I did it. Therefore, I obviously meant it. No, but the other thing is that we, are, if if it's not actually if it's not invented by several people at once, it's not actually communicating. Um, if if you make up a new word and no one else understands it, you're not actually doing anything useful. Which is why. You know, which is tumbling? why I groped around until I found tumbling, tumbling because there is tumbling. some history there to draw in. <laughs> like tumbling? When no one knows what it means. <laughs> Mel Brooks knows what we're talking about. I want Mel Brooks on this show. Get me Hi. the Hitler imitator. We have Who's an animal. Hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Dane, can I ask Dane and Colleen do we need to wrap up or do we have a little more time? You have as much time as I give you. Dane's gone. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Dane, for the record, it's it's not a social web talk without a cat. So you know, there you go. It's a new rule. Everyone needs a cat. Can you make it do something funny with some text over it? I can has maybe. Okay. Anyway, sorry, Kevin. Go ahead. No, no, Kevin just made a a great point. We were going to go to Jerry to to respond to Kevin. I had a point that slipped in there someplace, and I've forgotten where Kevin ended, actually, because there's so much going on. I'm busy reading the IRC and back and forth and watching Deb's cat, and and it's a bit distracting. But I wanted to make uh, one little point, which is we have two big forces that you could even call epidemics. One is that we have an epidemic of not listening to each other or in general. We're really not doing any deep listening. We don't even know what deep listening means. Uh, and the other one is that we're, we're stuck in the flow and we don't have a lot of stock. So a lake is a stock of water, a river is a flow of water. If you think about it, radio, TV, Twitter, blogs, all these things are flow, 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 flow. The IRC is whipping by. If I don't catch it as it goes by, it's gone and I'm just not going to have time to scroll up and then I have to catch up, right? So. Okay. In the middle of not actually listening to each other and being in a lot of flow makes it really hard to have good discourse. So slowing down a little bit is really good. Taking time to think and to listen and listening deeply without trying to compose how you're going to jump into the conversation and which break in the conversation I'm going to use to jump in and all that and actually being permeable to someone else's ideas, all that stuff, we're not getting there yet. So... uh, there's a lot of really nice places where we can pause. There's a whole, I'm reading a book called Less, uh, How to Achieve More by Doing Less, but by a guy who spent 10 years at the San Francisco Zen Center, full of really nice insights like that about just slowing down to be able to make decisions rather than trying to look really busy and staying engaged and, and being in the flow and then being just too muddled and too overwhelmed to actually pay well, attention and, and make decisions. Well, a couple I think things. Is- Linda Stone is working on this idea of email apnea now, the idea that people, she knows herself not breathing clearly when she was doing email, and that's kind of what you're talking about is, I guess, a flow state. Yeah. But also I want to note that Jay Calhoun, Jerry, saying, if you think it's an epidemic of not listening, it's implying people did actually listen to one another. Were people really genuinely hearing one another? Um, I mean, I, I think personally that there was a lot of... Um, 
there was, I think, certain kinds of deep listening, but I think there's lots of stuff that's gone unsaid and remained uh, censored in public or between certain kinds of people because I think the business world is just full of this where people feel like, well, this person is in a meeting asking for all of our ideas, but they don't really want to hear me or my idea. They don't want the genuine feeling. They want to hear what they want to hear. So I can't really say what I think. So if I'm going to say what they want to hear, is that really being listened to? You might I mean, have to I, I, roll the calendar back a long, 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 long way to find an era where people actually listen to each other. Although, even today and two years ago, you know, in some place in the world, people were doing a lot of deep listening. But, you know, there's all <laughs> sorts of things that have stopped us from hearing each other. Never mind modern media, right? Uh, governments right. And, and freedom of the press or whatever that is. And kings and the, the idea that we were all vassals of a king and shouldn't say anything. I mean, right. So Spanish, in a way, aren't we more did a lisp Spanish because the king had a lisp? Like, were aren't people we hearing each other more now in a way than we were before? As- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this is also a really good Kanye moment, isn't it? This is the moment to use the Kanye line. This is it right here. I'm, uh, I'm going to let you finish. Uh, I'm going to let you finish. but Jerry, but yeah. Deb had the best comment ever. Deb? <laughs> I actually think the difference may be today, and yeah, you probably have to go a long way back, is I think that the onus, I think that the responsibility is now on us to break away from the flow. We, we have to take more ownership and responsibility, whereas in the past, certain, you know, organizational structures, work structures, you know, you finished work, work in the farm at the end of the day and you went home, and so it was there. You know, these days we have to step away from the keyboard on our own and find those quiet times that Jerry's talking about. And Deb, remember you, that just being in flow is just not good enough. Deb, when you say in flow, I'm assuming you and Jerry, Yay! adorable, <laughs> are meaning data flow, like information da- yes. flow that's coming from the web because there's another kind of flow and I can't pronounce his name, but you all are geeky enough to know who I'm talking about, yeah. the University of Chicago social um, researcher's name begins right. with a C and has a Z and a Y and a K somewhere in there maybe one vowel, it's very long, who wrote the book Flow. And that kind of state of flow has to do with being deeply present, Jerry, like the guy at the Zen Center or someone playing basketball in a great state or writing something and being really present with it. Personally, I'm finding that the information intensity or overwhelm is pushing me to be much more in personal flow because it's giving me something to push against. I often don't know something that I need to change something till it becomes uncomfortable. Oh, that's insane. Look at that. Wow. You're out of nice, control, nice Colleen. Work, Colleen. Colleen, <laughs> I feel like you're that, that person on Howard Stern, but so much nicer. You know, Fred, who's the guy who just jumps in with the stuff. Amazing. Colleen is in our heads. It's great. So, so the, um, so what I found, like I learned at South by a couple of years ago where it just became so overwhelming to try to socialize and set up times to meet people and go to parties that I gave up and I started to treat, treat it the way I treated when, uh, time when I was traveling. And I just decided I'd go with whatever made complete sense, not just what was coming at me in the environment, but to me, whatever impulse I wanted to follow. And I think it's very different as human beings to, to hear and follow our impulses than to respond to what comes at us. And so for me, having the friction and the and the uh, sometimes what I don't like about too much information forces me to try to hear myself more. I'm feeling that feeling that impulse much more. And I think it's why blogs like Zen Habits and there's lots of blogs like that are so popular. There's desire for things not to feel overwhelming. And it's it's going to push us to learn how to make that happen. That's only going to come from us, not from technology. That's my point. I think I think it, the onus is now on us, whereas in the past it, it came from outside. 
you know, the, the day ended or, you know, whatever, whatever was coming at you, you know, ended and then you had your quiet time or your intention time. And, and I, I like that what you're saying is that it's pushing you. I like I think you're right. I think right now, though, we're in the middle of the struggle and we haven't gotten to the other side quite yet or everyone's finding their own. I mean, for me, I, I pick entire days where I am, uh, you know, in, in, you know, listening and writing and thinking. Uh, and, and it can't be an hour or two. It's an entire day. And you know what? You don't miss that much. And you, you ratchet up and you fill your tank, you know, again. I always notice when I go home for the holidays what a completely different state of the kind of flow that you're talking about, Heather, not information overload. Um, I'm in, and when you're quiet, that's when the interesting stuff bubbles up. If you're only leaning forward all the time, you know, our metaphor about that, nothing comes in, you know. And I think eh, that's the struggle today, figuring out how to do both and Kev when at the right time. Kevin, do you see uh, any technologies or ideas for standards or technologies to help us uh, move towards a place where we feel a sense of uh, spaciousness or an ability to know what it is we want to do as opposed to respond to whatever data is coming at us? Well, I think there's this, I think part of the, the sort of the, the Twitter experience is that it is much more of a flow. It's not a to-do list like an email inbox is. It doesn't pile up if you leave it alone. There's just some stuff you can look at and you can dip in. And you can scroll back a bit, but it's a pain in the neck to go too far, so you just see what comes by. And Neil Dash said, said a nice thing, which is that when you go to a party, you don't say, what has everyone said before I got here? You just join in the conversation and <laughs> see, see where it's going you are going at the time. Some, some, um, peop some so, people so do, the and they're very annoying. Well, yes, that's when true. When I go to a party, I just say, if you said something cool, I just say, RT that. RT <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>, that. <laughs> but, but the point oh, is, you... Um, a lot of the tools have been built as queues and as stacks and as long numbered lists and, you know, you have your count of stuff in your inbox, you have to try and get down to zero and you have all these, these things that end up being structured in a very computery way. And I think the, the activity streams, the flows that we've got are, are much more on the, the human level of a, of a conversation of a party or joining or something you can dip in and dip out of and influence and, and play with a bit. And you don't have to sit there and watch it all day long. Obviously, there's a temp temptation to do that. But I think one of the successes of um, this stuff is that you can dip into it, pick up a sense of it, and dip out of it again. Um, and because of the... Um, the thing Jerry was saying earlier about people passing things back and forth and repeating them, you can dip into it. And if there's been something that's caught people's attention, like the wedding video or whatever, um, it'll pop by when you dip in. You don't actually have to have, have had collected all together and organized and queued up for you. You just catch it from some of the people you're following. Um, and if that's not something you're interested in, you know, um, when there's a sports game on or a TV show on, you get a whole bunch of information, people talking about that. Um, if you don't follow those people, you don't see it. And so each of us sees these different pieces of it, and it is much more like these conversation models that, 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 that we were sort of reaching out for, um, particularly compared to the 20th century media, which was a centralized thing where everyone had to watch the same thing or, or, or give up. Um, and there's that great Douglas Adams piece that I, I quote all the time, um, wh where he, sorry, he who talks about... sorry, the piece about by? Douglas Adams. Douglas um, Adams. Oh, him. You remember him? Our saint. He wrote right, this exactly. wonderful piece 10 years ago where he talked about um, the, t the 20th century was um, the end of the 20th century is when we got interactivity back, when we suddenly stopped um, having to all watch the same thing and were able to have conversations with each other again about, about, about 
the stories we were telling and so on. I'll, I'll, I'll dig a link out for that. Yes, please. Yeah. Deb, go ahead. No, I was just, I was just sort of pondering out loud on Kevin's thought. I think, um, I think that each person has to reach that moment, though. I think it's a very different, different place to be in that sort of Zen place where, like, I can catch up with this later because th- that's what I mean. We're in this sort of like maybe it's um, when you first discover all these social tools, you're like, oh, I got to keep up with all of it at the same time. It's sort of like. And then you're like, okay, I'll catch up with it later. So I think we're sort of reaching this, which is which email. I'm probably sure I can't remember. When I first got on email, I was like, oh, an email. I got to respond right away, you know, like it was in Pine or Elm or something because there was one email. And now we realize that, you know, it's okay to respond to an email later. So with each new technology, there's sort of a new set of, you know, etiquette, I think, around it. And I think people haven't yet realized that it's okay to let that stuff live over there for a while and it'll still be there. You know, and, and, and like Kevin said, dip in again. I, I had I a moment today where that. I realized that I've been a mental hoarder. Hoarder? Ooh, H-O-A-R-D-E-R. What are you hoarding? Ideas? Well, I, I realized, I mean, there's so, I'm starting to work on this. I've been working on this book proposal for a while. And I realized I have not blogged the amount, whatever, when things one should have blogged. And it's like I've got, I've had my mental finger on all these ideas. I know, Jerry, maybe it's a good time to call up your brain. You just spit them out. Um, no, I just had a realization today that I could let go stop, and stop thinking about a lot of things I've thought about um, because I don't need to follow every conversation or capture or write right. about. Um, I mean, not only do I perform, obviously you guys are hearing me not just do stand up here, but I, I do a lot of writing and thinking about how it works and why the audience works a certain way to try to help give some help and value back to, you know, this world. And that's a lot of places to keep my mind. And I've just... I don't know. I'm on this simplicity thing too. Like you are, Deb. I'm trying to just let go of things, and because they are, especially technology, showing me they're out there. Someone else is writing that idea you have anyway. If you don't really, really, really want to follow it through, someone else will. So, so does that put you in more of a, a state of anxiety about it, or less? No, I feel much more relaxed. I feel like oh, it's going to be okay to just spend more time in the things that I uniquely, uniquely am passionate enough about, or feel compelled to do. That I'm just going to do those. Um, Jerry, do you want to talk a little bit about your brain and how it functions for you in in tumbling for you and bringing ideas together and people together? Yeah, and uh, I think it's loading. Oh, my God, what perfect timing. Colleen just switched to it, and this is uh, my brain on the web. Uh, The brain is a a piece of software I've been using for a dozen years. It's a concept mapping tool. Alas, we can't see the the text is so tiny there, but... uh, David Allen, the Getting Things Done Ooh, guy. Heather Gold. There we go. Look at Heather. that. Oh my God. Awesome. I'm in your brain? Oh, you, yeah, we're all in his brain. brain Are you kidding? Yeah, you've been in my brain forever. Yeah, uh, so David Allen, the GTG I- guy, talks about getting things out of your head and into some system where you're going to see them again. And he, he actually means your to-do list, right. you know, being able to, to, to know that you're going to get all these things done. My brain isn't really my to-do list, but it's the everything else. It's I know that I can go find stuff like the, the Douglas Adams essay that, that Kevin just mentioned. I know I kind of put it in there, and it was important enough for me that I put it in there. So it's become my memory, my stock of links and threads and connections. So when I talked earlier about flows and links, uh, sorry, uh, flows and stocks, my brain is sort of my most important stock of stuff, and I keep feeding it all the time. So, so in conversations, if I'm at a conference or if I'm in a conversation, I can easily find stuff that I put in there and then drop it back into the conversation. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I that's I my mind works very much like that map. Anyway, everything's quite visually connected somehow in it. So I think it's nice to get to get everything out. Although I wouldn't have the patience. I see you're inputting stuff in there all the time. Mm-hmm. Twelve years. I'm. I'm Twelve years into of the it. same database, into the same so, brain file. So whenever I put something new into it today, it's like I put in Tumblr talk, which I hope I spelled properly today. And you were already in there, and Deb was already in there, and I forgot to attach Kevin to it, so I'll do that too. But I was putting it into rich history that, that connected to a whole lot of other stuff. Right, and that you have open source management, which you participated in a, a kind of panel session I did south by now four years ago at least and a lot of the stuff i was doing there now is being written about still i mean uh a lot of stuff i see still boyd writing other people writing about Mm -hmm. the the idea behind open source management was that i found it very odd that companies were using open source software but yet they wouldn't deal with each other as human beings the same way so what would it be like if we did that and i ran a session with jerry and a couple other people and i brought in a company that would let me present their current problem to a room of people and just let them kind of have at it. And it was really a lot of fun. Uh, I did end up relying on my back during it, part of it, because the, the, the speakers <laughs> work. And that ended up being really like like the mistake that was a great, helpful thing. I mean, because every time I walked by one of the speakers, the mic would just go off. And if I stood in front of the table, you couldn't see Jerry or Kathy Brooks or some of the other people. So I just lay down on my back and just was like the voice of God annotating this. But I still think that this idea, whether you want to call it social business, you want to, you know, I know, Kevin, there's been a lot of uh, writing about that phrase this week and a lot of tweeting about it. This is the same idea, I guess, as I met with open source management, the idea that people are going to involve each other more. It's, it's kind of funny that people need data to prove to them that they should really talk to other people and listen to them more. <laughs> you silenced us. We agree. Yes. I think we're all, think we we're all, all multitasking and not listening. But no, I was listening. I'm no, I was just wanting to go back Kidding. to Kevin. I was hoping you dip into the social business conversation that I saw happen this week around Datchess. Yes. Is that how I pronounce it? Datchess Group. And I see Adrian Chan. Yes, I see a yeah. lot of conversations yes. happening where everyone's sort of struggling to call what it is we're, we're talking about. Social design, social business design, social interaction design, social media group, uh, trust agents. We're using tumbling. I mean, right. I think we're, we're trying to talk right. about it as a conscious act of creation that goes beyond one area. And, and, and other people talk about it in terms of it substituting for PR marketing. But isn't it all about how we're going to interact with each other where everything isn't in some command control top-down system? That's... I know what it comes down to. Yeah, um, I think what it, com- it comes down to connecting to a bunch of, of ideas that come from other realms, um, because a lot of this stuff comes from political science, or it comes from sociology, or it comes from literary criticism, or, or whatever. That people have been talking about these ideas um, in the abstract. They've, you know, they've talked about the death of the author and the fact that every text can have multiple interpretations, and you know it, that was a sort of literary theory from from you know, 30, right. 40 years ago. Um, and now that's a- absolutely true. Every text does have multiple interpretations, and they're all expressed on the web and, and discussed at and, the same time, and into a wiki, or it's into a Wikipedia entry. And every Wikipedia text has a giant argument hidden behind it in the discussion button that you can see at a glance. That you can see that the the the, you know, the the debate that went into each paragraph there. Um, and so it's, it's it's a lot of the stuff that people you know said. This is how stuff works. Is is now actually made real by by the net by the tech technology that we have um one of the things i wrote i read a thing called twitter in theory um the other the other day which was which was me grabbing a bunch of the the of the the words and 
um, theories that, that helped me understand this stuff. That, that was, um, and one, one of them was flow, which was the, the thing that Jerry and I had talk, talked about in the face of right. the stuff I've men- mentioned. You had a really um, nice piece about that. The, yeah. the other, another one, key one is, is, is the idea of something that's phatic, which is another one of these like, oh, you've just made up a new word things. But it means um, a communication you do not, for, not to send meaning, but to, to communicate emotion and sociality, like, like apes grooming each other. And right, a lot of the interaction, this is the why do I care about your sandwich problem, which is it is the you why don't care about I, your I would sandwich, argue you care about me. Everything is phatic. All conversation is phatic, including the information, I believe, like I said, mm-hmm. when I was can, they can be, yeah, yes, they, they, the information things can be can be like that. But if you, if you you know if you take the Google worldview, is with Google you have a little box on the screen, you type into there a request for information, and a machine gives you an answer back. And with Twitter, right. you have a little box on the screen, and you type in an emotion, and a human gives you a response back. And that's the right. difference between the two. Um, and, and so, with, with I guess Twitter is primarily a- about emotion. Well, and I think human beings are greatly about emotion and feeling, and we've had very little place for feeling and learning about it in design and technology, lots of stuff. It's kind of like, oh, this thing you go do in your private life and you get married, but somehow feeling this isn't, even though it's a motivator for people to go on YouTube and talk to each other, it's it's a lot of what drives our desire to connect to each other. In the business world, feeling is generally a bad word unless you're using it to sell somebody something so you get money or power from them. As opposed to, it's the reason one of the reasons we're we're alive. I mean, is right. this is this social realm or tumbling? Is this going to make feeling matter even in business and technology? Well, feeling does matter in business and technology. That's that's what television does. The television is an emotion emotion engagement machine, but it's been subverted by or you know. Your, your natural model of I, I care about these people has been subverted by the celebrities who are good at expressing emotions in that medium. Um, so you have these people that everyone can recognize and have a conversation about. And it was, you know, actors, and now it's reality TV people. And so it's like they're plucking the, the – the television has now gone to this sort of Greek god model where they're plucking people out of obscurity and putting them up there and making them do strange things um, because that, that will turn them into a story that we can all converse about. That will make them a surrogate member of our community for us to, for us to talk to and about. Um, but that's so also that's, because of the narrative models is my very bad – Graph of a narrative. Is it working? What? Can see it? I can't see it. Not much. Oh, yeah, yeah, This yeah. is something Up. that Kurt Vonnegut drew that I'm copying here. That's um, just a basic, like that life is usually a flat line in the middle, but this is a traditional narrative arc. Oh, things get very exciting or very horrible, and then they resolve. And that that's why people like this emotional engagement machine, that it's bigger than our usual feelings. Um, but... It, I, I, I don't know. Personally, I think with the multiple narratives, Kevin, like on Twitter or you're talking about the death of an author, it's different. It's not it's not any longer to me about there being one narrative that we're all going to follow and passively go through. It has more to do with the emotional connection with multiple peoples and multiple subjectivities. God, I can't believe this. Now I'm talking. Oh, I thought I'd wipe that part of my brain from college out. Uh, well, that's, well, that's what I, that's what I was saying. You know, I I never studied that stuff in college. I was a physicist, but you know all um, the I've words. read some of it since. I've read some of it since, and you know, and I, as I wasn't forced to study it, I can only I can only read the interesting parts, which is even more fun. Um, but that that's the point. We do have intersubjectivity. We do have um, each other's narratives that we dip into and, and dip out of. 
but we get to choose whose narratives we, we make sense of, and that helps us draw the sense out of the world into our, into our view of it. Um, and rather than just having this sort of narrow choice of people to listen to from a few TV channels or newspaper columns, we actually have the ability to listen to people we already know in the real world or people we admire as well. And that's the, you know, they end, both end up in the same space now, which is, which is interesting. Um, so you, before you had these sort of, you know, fake friends who were the celebrities who were on TV and you read about in the gossip magazines and you have some mental model of what their life is like. Whereas now they literally are mixed in the stream with the people you actually know and you respond back to them in, in the same kind of way. Um, so, and that can't help but um, humanize them and draw them in. Well, Jerry, you're going to be at this Twitter conference in L.A. tomorrow, which seems traditional celebrity full, including some reality TV Stars, Dr. Drew is there, and Loney Love, and uh, Iron Sheik, you know, the kinds of DE-level celebrities that a Twitter conference can get, a Hollywood <laughs> version of DRE. I mean, and the internet, Kevin, is A+, plus, you know, much higher oh, yeah, than Iron totally. Sheik. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, totally. internet still, at least for now. Uh, <laughs> so... So do you think that people of that style of celebrity, A, will keep existing after 10 or 15 more years of the way the web is going? B, do you think they, they are drawn in and communicate more given the way the tools are? Or can they really be sustained? Because the Hollywood model of celebrity is to sort of, you know, hold close to yourself information to slightly drop out little bit, tantalizing bits, you know, in the New York Post or here or there as a way to, you know, keep the general narrative and public interested in your life. It's not usually all out there all the time. Why would people stay interested in you if they knew everything about you? Ashton Kutcher or whomever. Uh, that's a long question, Heather. So I, Sorry, I think, that is really uh, long, celebrity... too long a question. I apologize. It's 1124 on East Coast. It's... Yeah, exactly. So, so, have, so celebrity doesn't go away. Celebrity changes a lot. And, you know, the guy who did the Kuti Man videos on YouTube by composing together all these things that people had just uploaded of them playing four notes and all of a sudden they're part of this incredible mashup. He's a celebrity now. Just put a nice, nice article on him in Wired Online. And that would not have easily happened under normal circumstances. Also, some celebrities are cutting out the middleman. In this case, they're cutting out the paparazzi and their PR agents. So, uh, you know, when Ashton Kutcher goes direct and starts talking to people and start, you can see, you know, pictures and video of what their office looks like at home with Demi, that's different. And you wouldn't have had that before. So in the same way, and this is the same way that FDR, you know, used his fireside chats to talk directly to the, to the American public. Uh, Ronald Reagan did exactly the same thing. He bypassed the media by having lots of talks on TV. So it's bypass. Um, but it doesn't mean celebrity goes away because attention still clusters up. It clumps up. And uh, now, all of a sudden, it can clump up very, very quickly because word moves around really fast. And I think that's cool. I, I'm, I'm interested in where it goes. I just don't want there to be some huge demagogue that all, all of a sudden, you know, runs us off to war uh, again uh, because of this. Because the traditional celebrity that we're used to in Hollywood doesn't tumble usually. They're usually not involved in listening much to other people. It's usually about them one way telling you stuff about themselves. Well, I think we associate celebrity with performance and with either athleticism or movies or acting or of some sort. Those tend to be our celebrities. So it's sort of by definition that maybe... Celebrity for the last 10 or 15 years has had less to do with acting. Yeah, it's more to do exactly yeah. with Paris Hilton eating you know, the burger. You compare very favorably to Paris, I will say. That, that side yeah, by can side we put that up again, Colleen? I agree. Put it up. 
Oh, put me up next to it for a second. <laughs> See if you can do it. Can you put me up next to her? No. But but next time, Heather, right. can you do one of those bathing suits? I'm well. I don't have them with me. I was gonna do. I was gonna do a model. Oh. Hold on. Give me a okay. left nice. hand. Need, can you can you turn on the fan? <laughs> Sweet. Oh, Heather. Perfect. An almost perfect awesome. likeness. Awesome. I'm dripping mouse juice <laughs> all over myself. Oh my god, hot lesbian, hot lesbian action. We have just switched to the <laughs> wrong channel online. In case you were wondering. Usually people pay for that stuff, but I thought I'd give y'all. Yeah. You know, Jerry's you convinced give, me you're supposed to give stuff away at first. Oh, last year, yeah, exactly. It's this whole freemium model, you know. For the, uh, for the entrees. Okay, you guys, we've been on for a while. Why don't we go around say one last little thing? It's been really Aww, a wide ranging conversation that I let it range. I know it's been fun. So, and everybody, uh, per somebody's suggestion, I close. I closed off the IRC so I could be a little more focused and. And I thought that was good advice from whoever put that in the in the chat room. But thanks to everyone there. I want to hear um, why you think still that uh, people who run companies and start them should understand what we're calling tumbling right now um, should be able to do it. And a little bit about your wish uh, that you'd like to see happen. Not Since including. Got, me, okay, let's start with uh, Jerry. You're right there. So Jerry, we'll start with you. <laughs> Wait, but Colleen just threw us off. There. Sorry, Colleen. Oh, Jerry, All right. start. I think we need more conversations in this world. We meet, we actually need more good and fruitful conversations, not just conversations for conversation's sake. And it's not a skill they teach you in many places. So you go to business school, you go someplace else. They don't actually show you a lot of that stuff. So I'm thrilled this is happening. I think there should be much more focus on it. And I don't know that there needs to be a chief conversation officer, Kevin. I think... Everybody needs to get much better at it, and, and there's plenty of ways to, to dive into that and perfect the skill. And, and your Next. wish, would that be your, that, so that's your wish and your wrap-up all in one, or you're free to throw in another wish, magical wish? Well, my, my wish is that this actually happens, that we begin understanding that all of our attempts to talk and chat and flow and interrupt each other are an attempt to knit back society and community and, and to find out where all these things fit. And it's going to be hard because we've been separated from each other in many ways for a really long time. Uh, but it's a, it's, it's a really worthwhile endeavor. And it's, uh, so my wish is that we actually succeed in doing this. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Jerry. Your website is associate.com if people want to see and know more about you. And Yitan, am I right? Y-I-T-A-N.com? Exactly. Thanks, Heather. For your fantastic weekly calls, thank you so much for being with us. You're my you're my like go to. You're my first guy. My talk show, Heather Gold Show. You're just you're always the best. You're my lucky first guest. You're my Tom Cruise, Jerry. And <laughs> oh, I can jump up and down on the couch if you want. I mean, I'm, I'm happy you're to do less, that. Less crazy, thank God. And uh, and Kevin Marks, how about your thoughts about the why this is important for business strategy and your wish. My take is, is, you know, as a geek and a technologist, is to encourage the technologists to think about this and to see um, how they can draw on these strands that are ha- going to happen in, their, in the things they build anyway. Um, part of that is they should look at the, the standards with the building of the social web to draw in um, connections and activity streams and portable contacts and stuff from one site to another so that every site doesn't try again to get you to recreate a personal profile on a list of friends oh, and so on. Oh, God. Draw on the 
already built um, because we have the you know that's possible now and that's we're starting to see that you know, FriendFeed does this very nicely when you sign up to FriendFeed you give it an existing account and it gives you a, a stream straight back of all the people that, that you know and, and what they're doing they're doing that that works nicely and i think that idea needs to become woven deeper into the fabric of the web and that's starting to happen um but also i think we need to as technology we need to realize that there is stuff going on in the social sciences and anthropology and sociology and literary criticism we need to pay some attention to that and 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 see oh people have been thinking about this stuff we don't have to follow the patterns that we've been building in bulletin boards for 15 years we can actually think about some of these other models and, and bring that into it so that's my my wish is to um get more technologists reading literary theory. Oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Good segue. Deb, Deb Schultz. I guess, I guess as, as a bridge builder between geeks and sometimes the business world, sometimes others, my wish is that as we construct this new social, open, collaborative world that we live in, both online and offline because i think we you know organizations have much more porous walls than they used to thanks to open social and stuff that we don't try to um that we don't think we're you know reinventing the wheel each time and that we cross pollinate across different um spheres so that the sociologists and the anthropologists and the geeks and the coders and the open source guys and the business folks all learn from each other and you know my 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 aim in the coming year, at least, is to create a better ecosystem to allow those conversations to happen. Because I think if you only sit in one or the other, we're not going to um, be pushing this stuff forward. So that you know, that's my wish. And the, my the excitement for me is that I do think, as Jerry said, we're at this really interesting time where finally people, you know, the social software, social web has been around long enough, hitting enough of a mainstream that that it's sort of pushing. What does this all mean? And maybe as you said, Heather, pushing against these two things will be, you know, even um, better content, contact, and communication with each other. So that's my, my hope. Oh. And, my wish. and I'll, I guess I'll wrap up by saying that um, I do believe, of course, maybe the only one, that actually performers have a lot to help. They don't, maybe they don't know this yet, but the skills that are involved in performing, comedy, improv, playwriting, to me, are really directly applicable to trying to create a world where you don't fill in all the gaps for, for, for people, where you're creating a great experience. You're very conscious of what's going on with everyone because when you're with a live audience, it's a constant checking in of what's going on and then modifying and leaving space to have some of the experience not created by you directly, but by everyone being together. So I'd love to see um, more uh, value uh, given to performers and entertainers and ways to bring other artists together with uh, more people in the startup world and working on, you know, working on these ideas. I'd love to see the show continue. I'm thrilled everybody came and listened tonight. If you guys have a, an idea for a name you think is better than Tumble Talk, we've now been told by Dane it cannot be this weekend. It's fine with me. It's something that, that is a little quicker to understand and less to translate. No. I'm game to hear that. No, is that Kevin? It's Kevin. No, what? No, that you no, lie? no, this weekend, ever, no. Oh, oh yeah, no, 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 oh, no, no, this weekend. No, this weekend, that's fine. I thought I was having like a Joe Wilson moment where someone was, you lie! You lie. <laughs> uh, Helene, how about last week on? <laughs> Instead of this weekend. Deb, Deb, I think your mic has suddenly gone silent. Deb, you're turning off. into a Cylon, so uh, oh, yeah. oh, oh, we'll have to mute Deb. you here or we you can call you back. need fan bandwidth. 
So yeah. I do think that this is my my gut and part of what this uh, if this book proposal works out, which will be touring and the book being a conclusion, not the beginning of a book, but writing by performing with people, is that I think it's a time when we're going to integrate and everything that you've all been saying, I'm thoroughly behind that that we need more of a liberal arts life where we have more of a skill set that's mixed where we can think in a way where our, you know our feelings are part of business decisions and hopefully we're making technology and business to serve our human needs and not trying to modify our lives to fit what we think those systems want because that's just going to be miserable and we need jokes and pizza that's been it colleen you're just the awesome we love you do you want to say anything, Colleen? What's your, do you have a wish? Um, no. All right. I'm not on the show. Okay, I just thought I'd include you if you wanted to be included. Oh, oh, but it's okay for you to flash balloons and coins and fish past us, eh? Yeah, watch it. Uh-oh, now it's <laughs> don't, don't make me wait, drop wait. you. What's happening to my image? Wait. Ah! Ah! So it's been a terrific show. Thank you so much, everyone. If you want to see our links, they're at tumblr.tumblr.com t-u-m-m-l-e-r.tumblr.com there's also deborahschultz.com kevinmarks.com sociate.com and i'm heathergold.com this has been awesomely fun and i hope we get to do it again thanks leo for having us thanks colleen good night all right so we're done with recording you guys can just talk if you want while i finish up what i'm doing here thank you so much you're really terrific no problem I'm just playing yeah. around, and I have. Yeah, I think. Oh, he's I, gone. Colleen, it's like you've you've found. I don't know if you feel this way, but you you seem to just be in your groove with doing this. It seems to be like a some awesome superpower of the mixing. I love it. Oh well, the problem is I always have to um, try to resist because I always want to. Ha- I always have stuff to say. And I'm like, no, no, don't want to add that. No, no. And then every so often, I can't help but show a fail well. <laughs> I think it's great. I love it. I think it makes it much more fun. Or right here, we can we can have the fishies. <gasps> <laughs> I was playing with the the iChat thing that that lets you change your background and chroma key stuff behind you before. That that, that that that's a fun way to mess with people. Or or we can always. Kevin Marks, you are like Mister Articulate with all the. Literary references and the fatic. You pulled that one out of there. Death of an author. That was like, that was the main thrust of my entire college education was that essay. Well, you know, I, I, I get the, the ability to allude to it without having to actually read it, which is also a massive advantage. Um, but the, the fascinating thing that I saw in that was that the, the, exactly the academics who had been pushing this idea um, were the ones who were most upset by Wikipedia. Um, sure, that's so, beautiful. I love it. Yeah, that's a gorgeous irony. Gotta love that. And, and and you know, the one thing that every child in school is now taught is that you can't trust Wikipedia, which is the opposite of the message. The message is you need to examine every text, including Wikipedia. And guess what? This one, you can actually see the edits to it and where it came from, right. unlike every other exactly. text you get. And that's the, you know, the 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 fascinating thing is that is that is you know, you know, the one thing you're taught at school is don't trust Wikipedia, which is the the opposite of. You know, trust this magic textbook, which yeah, we don't always, have the, the, the semiotics of. You know, I would always tell my professors that I'm using Wikipedia, whether they like it or not. And if they had a, if they had trouble with it, they can uh, they can try to find issues where I've used it incorrectly. 
Well, it's really interesting because the whole thing they pushed when I was at Yale with deconstruction was the idea was that language is difficult and undermines itself. So in some weird way, if the thing that they'd written was really obtuse and hard to understand, that that was somehow an embodiment of the idea they were trying to get across. And I couldn't think of anything more opposite to ease of access like Wikipedia. I mean, I... I feel like, you know, I got taught a lot about how to deconstruct stuff, but I didn't get taught much about how to make stuff, which is much more full of play and tunneling and and, right. and fun in life. And to me, what what I care about, I mean, I'm glad it came along for a short period of time to make a lot of stuffiness, you know, question itself a little bit. But yeah, it got really, it gets tiring to do nothing but knock everything apart. <laughs> well, I think I did end up, you know, devouring its own tail, yeah. Um, but, you know, there, there was something there that was useful. There was a wonderful day about teaching computer science as maths as a liberal art. I don't know if you saw yes. that. I'm trying to Clive, find the link. Clive Thompson blogged it and I read it. It's, it's lovely. Yes, you, 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 uh, yeah, I think I and I, I tweeted it and, and he's referring, it's a computer science student and he's, he's referring to a maths piece somebody wrote. And that, and that math piece I'd read before, remembered and, and really enjoyed, and and agree with you know deeply. Um, and I'm you know I'm watching my sons go through high school at the moment, and going through that maths course, and trying really hard to sort of talk about the ideas to them rather than the you know the vocabulary. You know that they ask me strange math vocabulary questions, like I have no idea what what you call that. It's a you know it's a number on top of another number. It's a fraction. Um, is it a mixed fraction? I don't know. Um, and you know I've got college-level math and I can do all this stuff, but I don't recognize it in, in, in that thing. Um, and it's the same with um, the literary stuff was, was interesting. Um, every essay my son submits at school, they put through a plagiarism detector, um, which Weird. means if he, pu- if he publishes it on the web, it'll show up as plagiarism because he'll have plagiarized himself. Right, I did Bizarre. that. I did that once as an experiment. Actually, I posted um, an essay that I wrote on my blog and I got pulled up for plagiarism and they pulled me and Colleen we we have something we need to talk to you about this is very serious <laughs> and I said do you want to look at whose website that is uh, guys I think we're I think we're still on the air aren't we yeah we're just probably we're just having fun okay good that's fine no I, th- I thought we were assuming that we were off the air but clearly the the chat is following what we're saying so no we we're we're always on they the are. air I'm familiar with I just I took Colleen seriously at the beginning when she said we're always on so Good, me too. And uh, if Deb would love to be back in the conversation, yeah. she hung up and came out. Can you add her yeah, back Yeah, I in? just called her back but, and then she hung up again. But this liberal oh, art oh. idea, Jerry, made me sad that I missed your Yitan call on, on unschooling. And uh, I was it, I'm wor- that too, yeah. I'm working on was, a, uh, I'm really about to start awesome call. continuing to work on um, my play about the law and what's wrong with the binary and the law and Oscar Wilde. And, you know, I have all this education, but I really grew to feel... Mostly because my the time I spent on startup culture, I mean, I grew to really not trust the things that I was told I was good and smart for. I realized that the success I had in that's the school system at places like Yale or my the law school I, I went to had as much to do with being obedient as it did to you know, to knowing anything. You know, the curiosity factor mattered, but it was sort of something I ended up having to sneak in more and more. Uh, as time went along. And I think there's something really wrong with teaching people just to spit stuff back at you. It's, it's sad. I interview kids for college, you know, for Yale and they do not know what they're interested in. And it's, it's tragic to me. They, they can't know. They've spent all these years being told you need to get into this thing, you know, fit this package. 
and they've worked mm-hmm. so damn hard, there is no mental space for them to feel like it's okay. It takes a long time to recover those impulses, you know, once you that's push the, them down really so far. One of the things that came up in the unschooling call was also the term de-schooling. And de-schooling is used a lot more as detox, basically. Uh, and one of the people, one of the, my guests on the call said a really wonderful thing. She said, uh, a lo- de-schooling is a lot about healing your curiosity, or letting your curiosity heal because your curiosity gets stamped out in school. You know, just try being in math class and being curious about poetry or whatever. Just, you know, school and then the program they have for you is not a place for the curious. As long as you're curious about what's on, what's on the table right now, that's not too bad as long as you don't ask too much or go too fast. Uh, so it was really interesting because a lot of stuff I've just read in the last couple of days, uh, there was a, uh, a really nice essay that... Uh, the Y Combinator guy, Paul Graham. He wrote a mm-hmm. he wrote a high school speech that he didn't give, yeah. and it just got tweeted oh, today. Nice. I just finished reading it this afternoon. I'll, I'll post it on I, the. I'm on always the thing. torn between loving what he writes and occasionally thinking I just can't believe a word of this. But I, he is interesting always. He kind of me too. One and this one was re- about this how is actually really, he, really a good one. Yeah, the Sorry, high school ahead, that one was good. He wrote an interesting one about how he writes, and, and the diff- He says he writes an essay to an explore an idea and see where it takes him. And it's a process of discovery. He's not writing it to persuade. Um, and so um, if he was doing that, he'd have to write it very differently. And it's, it's sort of interesting sort of meditation on his own, on his own thought process. And I'm, I'm, I think he's making a slightly indistinct, like, you know, uh, um, inexact dichotomy there between understanding the idea and persuading people with it. Because if you don't understand it, you can't persuade them. But what, what he was saying was interesting. Because a lot of I the... Think... No, Kevin, please. Sorry. he was saying if you want to persuade people you have to understand your audience and talk to them and frame it in such a way that you you don't upset them which is very true and a key part of what we're talking about here Um, but he was saying but I don't do that I just say what I think and he was like missing the point a little bit but it helped understand helped me understand why some of his essays work better than others I think Mm -hmm. that is interesting Jay you're talking about healing curiosity I think expression as well I mean I found in the process of uh, performing, I mean, I get asked a lot about, you know, changing from being in law school, doing business development to doing the things I'm doing. And it's taken a long time. I still struggle with it to let my mind and not just my mind, the rest of my sense of body and heart, what's my heart like to let it come out because it was so trained to push that back and then to translate everything into my left brain in some linear analytical process that Kevin could be persuasive. You know, I was raised in a world that taught me that being persuasive was a good skill and I learned it, but I now really don't have so much respect for persuasion because it's it's what I've learned in all this tumbling stuff I've done and even the stuff I, you know, this, that I've learned the most from running the large conversations live is that curiosity is, is needed to unite people who are different. Persuasion no, Heather, is a divisive we'll thing. You, we'll convince you you're wrong. Just give us a little time here. It's, it's just uh, to me that I like, what is the goal of it? You know, the persuading. I mean, what is the yeah. purpose? Because if people really are going to make their own choices, it's not because you could. I mean, think people think like I'm smarter than you. Or I have a better argument and that will win. It's like when someone decides something for themselves, they'll change their mind, not because you beat them somehow in a word game. So my, 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 my son was um, auditioning for the, the improv group. Um, at, at school this, this last week, and, and we, well, we were chatting before he did it, um, and, and afterwards, and he, and he got in, and he said, "Well, 
um, everyone else was trying really hard to be funny, and I was trying to be part of the com- part of the the performance and, and the conversation and do that because you know, he has him. done it before. And and he and he and he got that that was the thing. I think that was why that he, is the thing he got in. And and you know, and that's the essence of it is paying attention um, and honouring what the other people are saying, and then feeding something back into it. Um, and and he having done enough of it, he understood that's what you were trying to do, not trying to go for the gag. Um, and I think that's you know it, it's it's great that he's got a you know a class at school that that is that. Um, as well as the sort of classic, you know, rhetoric classes that they do, they they have a an improv thing as well. When you do improv, you will find though that some people get quite competitive, and there's often a gender dynamic in groups where you see the guys all like trying to get the snarky. Co- I mean, I'm making a generalization, and Twitter sometimes reminds <laughs> me of that, where there's conversations, some people are feeding and making passes, and then there's someone who's always like, "And that one's mine, but a big, but a big, but a big," and you know, <laughs> after. Well, it's neither of you guys. Neither of you is that way, but there are people who are that way. That's for sure. And I know one of the things, and I'm much more aggressive than 99% of the women I know online, especially around humor. And I find a lot of women tell me like, well, you know, they just kind of have this offline back channel conversation about the important stuff because they don't want to get but a bing down their head in public or, uh, because they don't really want to compete. Because it is an energetic competition if you want to try to one-up somebody publicly. And, and that happens in improv all the time. <laughs> all the time. Right. As opposed to setting up the, the, the Dada running gang that you can then reuse for the rest of the thing that, to, to divert that, that stuff. Yeah. I mean, you can be incredibly funny. I mean, when the funniest bit of improv I think I ever saw was Andy Dick and Groundlings in like 1992. I used to go to every Thursday night improv with some amazing people, and he just decided to be a blueberry. I don't know, remember what the piece was. This is the other thing that people are taught a lot is commitment. You know, yes. I, I studied with an amazing teacher, Cynthia Zagetti, and she trained, you know, Conan O'Brien, all these people, and that's a huge gift. And someone like you know, those physical comics, like Andy Dick's a good example, Chris Farley, they have incredible commitment. Um, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen, the guy will just stay with whatever it is, just completely. And it's beautiful to see, but if you're someone else and there's like eight of you on stage or three of you on stage, like it's now all about him. He's the blueberry, you know, and he did it first and now you're supporting the blueberry. Okay, I have to show you, show you this, this one. You talked about commitment. My son showed me this the other night and you, this, this, this is a great clip. Hang on, I'm going to be put it in the IRC. Um, it's a YouTube clip, which is someone who's on... Um, um, it's one of the, the shopping channels, and just 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 watch it. And, and this is the definition of commitment. Oh my God! Shopping channels, I love. Are we playing it? <laughs> Can I hear it? Not you remember the picture of the horse I showed you earlier? Well, here it is, blown up. This is a big horse. Order now. You get the camera. You get the printer. Love it. Four X optical zoom. Schneider lens. Photo printer. SD card. Look at that horse. Love it. The bushy tail, the big teeth, the hooves. <laughs> the details. Okay, is my producer Tara Cage just told me this isn't a horse, it's a butterfly. That is such Actually, a drag. It may in fact be a moth. But look at what the <laughs> zoom did. I mean, you can see details in the antenna. God, you know what's so funny is I used to say back in the day, Mark Cuban always reminded me 
of a QVC Beanie Baby salesman. And then, you know, when, <laughs> when what's his name, mp3.com came along the same feeling. I, that's always the vibe I get. Except Vaynerchuk, too. Somebody's just like, I'm going to sell you this thing no matter what. They're always successful, those guys. They're committed. All right. I'm committed to going home now. I'm going to go order yeah. a pizza. Yeah, I need to log out. Sounds like a plan. Uh, I'm going to get thrown out this building. Someone's already hoovered the the floor twice. (laughs) Thank you guys for coming on, and I hope we do this again. Me too. Thanks, Colleen. Bye. Thank you. It was great. great. Look forward to doing it again. Thanks, guys. This is Twitch.